Welcome to Hemp Logic Radio, where we attempt to sift facts from opinions in this upside-down world of industrial hemp. Hey, hey, hey! Good morning. It's Corey with Hemp Logic Radio. Today we've got uh, Andrew Bish, and uh, oh, real quick, uh, I, I got to write my my little intro down because, um, as you know, uh, this is what I want to talk about was, um, this is a live show. So when you, when you, when you start the, the podcast, um, I usually, uh, introduce myself and then tell you that, that it is a live show. I don't do edi- any editing and, uh, doing live shows, uh, can be sometimes challenging. Uh, the short story, uh, my first four episodes of the radio show was, uh, done from the pickup truck. So, um, just like anything else, uh, when you do live things, um, my guest, Andrew Bish from Bish Enterprises, I uh, was told him to call a couple minutes earlier and, uh, guess what? It's 8.01 and we're, we're, uh, I'm filling, uh, airtime in. I need a co-host is what I need. I think that's what was, that's what I, I need to find a co-host so we can do banter back and forth. Cause, uh, I think when I get on the radio, I uh, tend to, to uh, choke up a little bit without having a yin and a yang going back and forth. So kind of waiting on Andrew to call in here, uh, give it a couple minutes. Uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, hemp harvesting equipment. Uh, Andrew Bish uh, it has been a forefront uh, pioneer for hemp harvest, and uh, it's um, it's great to see. Uh, his business take off. Um, I know he works, uh, we'll talk a little bit about, he works uh, in conjunction with quite a few other people. He's definitely a, he's definitely a guy that, that likes to collaborate. Um, And I think that's, that says a lot in the hemp industry, just for the fact of um, it's, it's, it's the hemp industry is very closed um, when it comes to innovation and technology. So, um, He's definitely a pioneer on that side. So, Andrew, let's uh, get on a call here. I, I, well, now we're going on three minutes. Well, man. <laughs> Live radio. Gotta love it, right? Uh, little Mountain Dew in the morning. Well, it's been three minutes. Uh, he might have gotten hung up. Probably have to try it again. So, uh, I'm going to have to be a little bit more precise with this is... oh. Hey, look at that. Andrew show he shows up. Hang on just a second. Hey. Are you there? Hey. Yeah, absolutely. How are you doing, Corey? <laughs> I was just still in three minutes of dead air. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, I apologize. I looked at I looked at my clock and I had plenty of time and then I looked at my clock and I was completely late. So <laughs> I've I've done that on the show itself. So actually, um, I I was actually uh, talking a little bit about doing live shows and, and, and I was actually talking about you and, 
and everything. Everybody, we've got uh, Andrew Bish from Bish Enterprise. He finally uh, he got he, he got he got on the line with us. Uh, one thing about doing what I do with this, Andrew, is that it's all live. I don't I don't do like okay. some of the people will, will go back and do all the editing, and and I just I, I don't know I I really like the live site, but doing live shows, this is what we get. And so it, it's fun and it's exciting. And it's also, um, I, I don't know how many times, probably I've got a half dozen shows that just ended up in the trash. But anyway, welcome. Uh, how's, how's things? Where, whereabouts are you at nowadays? So I've been, I've been uh, pretty well stuck in the local area. Uh, I, our, our business is in Giltner, Nebraska. And I was joking with somebody the other day because I, I go to, I go back and forth to work every day and, and really don't have an issue. And they said, well, what about the quarantine? And I I said, I've been under quarantine for 38 years. Uh, the town that I grew up in has, has – uh, we have 380 people, and uh, I have to go looking to find people. So I, I, I don't really have much of an issue uh, in terms of, of that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, we're we're stuck uh, – we're, we're in the local area here just uh, – uh, and continuing to operate. So, all right, on. Okay, so your your, your shop where you guys build your equipment is there in, in Giltner? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've got two facilities here. They're about a mile apart from each other, uh, but they're just outside of Giltner, literally in a cornfield. <laughs> I was uh, on my on my way. I I uh, I'm actually in Cheyenne, Washington, right now, and I was driving up. I called my mom, and I <laughs> I was trying to convince her that they'd change it from quarantine to quarantine and she was having none of it she's like <laughs> it's corn it's quarantine mom it's quarantine um, so but one of the uh one of the things i was talking about before you got on the line here was uh you know uh i, I totally respect what you what you've done inside the hemp industry and, and the reason why it the, the respect is so so deep is that you know, with hemp, it's the innovation and, and working in collaboration is, is really nobody wants to share anything that they're doing. And I, I think that the, the industry is going to change or it has changed maybe with, you know, with the, with the collapse last year and, and everything, you could probably see a little bit more people willing to work with you. But, you know, you've been one of those pioneer guys um, almost from the get, from the start, you were willing to, talk about stuff and what you were doing and, and that kind of thing. Can you, you know, is that, is that a true statement you think? Cause I, that's what I see. That's perception is reality for me. That's just how I see you. Yeah. You know, that was one thing when we came into this industry that I noticed uh, was uh, a lot of, I guess what I call siloism uh, of information. And so once we, we really identified that everyone was working in these different silos, it became important to us and our, our organization to help break down some of those, those boundaries people have built because the industry needs to move forward. And the only way that it can move forward is in a collective fashion, not in the type of fashion where everyone just keeps their information proprietary. Proprietary is great for a lot of things, but this is a plant. This is ultimately a commodity. And if we want it to be the commodity that we all say that we want to be, we have to start sharing information between each other. Um, you know, at the same point, there, there's, there's things that we all need to protect because we, we can't give away 
you know, the keys to the car necessarily. But uh, at the end of the day, I think that the industry as a whole is stronger uh, by disseminating information than it is warehousing information uh, that, that we're not distributing. Now, I, I've, my, you know, my, my history and, and, and experience has always been um, maybe because I'm not on this, on the absolute, I'm not producing anything. I'm not building something. It's just knowledge that I have. And people will, over the years, you know, you can tell pretty quickly when they're just fishing. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll try to lead you into, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, you know, we'd really like to talk to you and get you on a call. And then you never hear back from them. Um, so I think a lot of it's maybe just the knowledge base but on yours it's actually you have an actual commodity you have a product and so it's a little bit harder to, to take um you know you can always take an idea but you know it's it's it, i know just know the industry 18 and 19 were definitely people just wanted your information they just wanted to talk to you yeah well and i think that i i think that for good reason uh it's because they're so ultimately, if you look at where we were in 2018 and 2019, and even even into 2020, there's still not a lot of uh, great resources in terms of you know go to this website, and all the information you can have is is going to be right there. Good There's, quality we're just information. quite there yet. Yeah, good yeah, quality yeah. information. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you when I first got into this in 16, uh, just the the amount of you know, we were dealing with uh, just one plant. People were talking about one plant and it, it, trying to get it to expand into uh, scale. You know, everyone's, you can kind of tell still when people will call and we'll get on a phone call and they'll start talking about how they're going to cultivate. And I'm like, this is a marijuana guy. You know, he's, you know, he and come to find out you dig a little deeper into his business and, you know, he's, he grew, you know, 15 plants last year and he now he wants to expand to 15 acres <laughs> and, and, uh you're gonna be in trouble <laughs> yeah yeah we dealt with a lot of you know that, that was what was funny i think about uh, at least the past two years uh you know people look at this and say cannabis is ca cannabis is cannabis is cannabis and while the plant in in, in and of itself might be the same uh, when you start to scale from a production standpoint, the knowledge base that you have uh, when you're working in a small grow and tra trying to translate that into acres of, you know, 10 uh, to 50 to 100 acres, uh, it, it just doesn't scale. The, the, the small grow, it's impossible to scale that up. And, and they, a lot of the consultants, as, as they called themselves, uh, just didn't have the the skill set to be able to transition appropriately. Yeah, that's that's a lot. I saw that a lot in nineteen. The end of nineteen, we were talking, uh, you know, the, the hemp harvest, uh, the the uh, um, the rescue program. You know, the, we were just talking with you know ten, fifteen, twenty, fifty acres, hundred acres, and these guys were in late September and and without a harvest plan. And I just that just was shocking. But they. It just got away from them. You know, they started harvesting. They started cutting down plants, and oh, this isn't well, working. And well, and to be fair, uh, and to be fair to to all of these people, uh, which 
you know, they, they all should have known better too. But uh, sure. when, most of pe- when most people went into this in 2019, if you recall, uh, during cultivation season, the price point of uh, CBD was $3.50 a point per pound. So mm-hmm. it was still mm-hmm. it was still gold it was still gold mine territory and caution could be thrown to the wind and and profit margins didn't become something people needed to be concerned about where you know now we turn into 2020 and and we did exactly what we needed to do we turned hemp into an agricultural commodity and now we're dealing with the consequences of that which is having to budget your farming practice yeah exactly exactly and and learning you know, uh, so from start to finish, so it's going to cost this much for land, this much for irrigation, this much for power. And then, you know, we've got the operation costs of actually putting a tractor and bodies in the field. And then you add, start adding from that point all the way through until um, you actually have something that's a commodity that can be sold. And this is what we have. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, if if you're not a... If you're not accustomed to doing farm budgets, this is all what? What what exactly are you talking about? Don't you just plant the stuff and you know um so you know <laughs> hope it works out. It's I, I I my heart goes out to these guys. It really does. And and it's uh I can see it through my emails, you know, I'll send out an email and I'll get people that will unsubscribe and then you go back and look at where the that actually person that came from and their comments or you know their question their first question to hemp logic was you know we want to grow 10 acres and um you know we need help we need you know we need genetics whatever that it's that they needed but now they're done you know they don't want to have any they don't even want to be in the hemp business anymore so yeah uh, yeah it's, and, it's a little heartbreaking that is that is heartbreaking, and I think I think a lot of that comes from, honestly, the, when you look in 2019 uh, and you go into the southeast, what happened in Kentucky and Tennessee uh, was really, to me, the the things that happened in those states are a, a lot of what brought us uh, to where we are uh, today because there were so many farmers that really were uh, you know, sold the bill of goods. Um, and then had had no way of uh, being able to you know, work with the companies that, that sold them on these ideas uh, to fulfill the contracts that they they promised these these growers well, and, 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 and of, that rippled through the market exactly. And then come to you know, and then then you start to hear whispers of the same actors doing this in Texas, and it just it's like, did we not learn anything? I mean, uh, these these the same actors that were going through Oklahoma, uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and all these other you know the states that got buried, and now they're in Texas doing the same exact thing. It just they changed yeah. the name. It's the same people, yep. just different company. You know. Yeah. Wow. <clears throat> and that's that's honestly why. I get a little bit nervous. People always talk about, well, if you're going to grow this crop, you need to have a contract at at the end of the day. You need to have a place that that's going to go to. But what I saw in 2019 was that's not what you need to do because a contract didn't mean anything in 2019. And so the guys that went into it that followed all the advice are still the guys that really ended up getting hurt. And so I tell people, if you want to get into this, you better be able to sit on this thing for at least three years 
or you better be able to uh, put in whatever your input costs are, you, be, you need to be able to afford to till that under and still sleep at night uh, because otherwise, uh, you know, it, it's re we're not in a place where you can just go to the grain elevator and sell this stuff. We're just not there yet, and people need to realize that, that we're not here, that we're not there yet. They can help us get there uh, by, by doing small grows and, and doing it wisely, but we're just not there yet. No, it's you're you're absolutely correct. It's um, you know, 2020 is definitely not going to be anything close to 19. I can already see that. That that's the writing's on the wall there. Um, talk talked to a couple suppliers, and you know they were like, "Dang it!" And, you know, I was planning on you know being debt free by the end of uh, you know June. <laughs> you know, I was hoping to get this and this and this, and it's just not coming. It's just coming. Uh, and then, of course, the virus throws everything off. So um, there's it, a lot of challenges, definitely, for the hemp industry. So, you know, I, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to bring up was, you know, your thoughts on, on the future of hemp and, you know, what you see, what you see forecasted for 20 and, and, and maybe even 21, 22. Okay. So, you know, great questions. I Really, in, in 2020, we're going to see a dramatic shift away from the, uh, the horticultural style growing in certain parts of the country, uh, not only just because some people are going to adopt agricultural style growing for CBD or uh, other cannabinoid hemp, but the interest level in the grain and fiber has really picked up. Uh, with, with the price decrease that we've seen in the CBD market, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, investment out there that still wants to find a home in hemp, and so they're looking to the grain, they're looking to the fiber uh, market there, mm -hmm. and we are we so we are starting to see that emerge, and and that's really what I see in 2020 is the emergence of the grain and fiber market, and then in 2021 and 2022 starting to you know have a more robust. Um, uh, grain and, and, and fiber market in the United States, which I think realistically we're still probably five five years out on having a an, an appropriate marketplace for uh, the the fiber side of things, and and possibly even longer on the grain side of things, depending on how long it takes the uh, uh, USDA uh, to approve some of the animal testing that needs to be done for uh, hemp seeds. Yeah, I think animal is where it's got to start because it takes so much to get a food product out. Um, and then, of course, you have the, the people right up north of us that have been doing grain for 20-plus years. You know, if they haven't figured it out by now, you know, it, somebody said, uh, well, we want to grow grain. We want to grow hemp for grain so we can, you know, make food products. And I said, well, have you done the math? Because you can go right up into Canada and buy what you need and have it shipped down here cheaper than you can grow it. And they just, you know, that silence. No, I didn't realize. Yeah. Didn't and Manit Man Manitoba harvest has built a tremendous supply chain and uh, you know, taking up a lot of store shelves and, and it, it's going to be difficult for American grain producers. Uh, I think to go into the grocery store and, and I don't really even think that, that that really needs to be where people are focused on, uh, like, like you just mentioned, animal feed. And to me, that's a passion of mine is, is getting that that uh, 
the the commodity approved for animal feed. I, I'm actually on the uh, uh, full disclosure. I'm vice president of the Hemp Feed Coalition, and that that is all we focus on uh, in that organization. Because when you look at Europe. Uh, and you look at all the, the hemp that's grown over there, and you look at those big machines. A lot of people point to these double-cutting uh, harvesting mm-hmm. machines. Um, a lot of people don't realize that, that most of that material is going into silage uh, for animal feed, and, and that's a lot of the production there. The, you know, the fiber is going to go uh, and be used for building materials and, and household uh, or, and vehicles and things like that, plastics. But really, the tops of the plants that they're cutting off, uh, the, those thousands and thousands of acres, most of that is not extracted into CBD material. Most of that is turned into uh, animal feed. Uh, and, and they allow, the Europeans, of course, allow their animals to eat hemp, not just the seed, but the actual plant. And that's a place that we need to get to in the United States if we want a really robust hemp uh, marketplace. Yeah, it's... it. it... You know, I think of what we do, and, and you might agree, is, is a lot of times we end up, uh, and I've had this discussion with many people on here, we end up educating people the true scale of what we're trying to accomplish. And, you know, we talk, we've talked about animal feed. Now you get into the fiber side, and it really steps up, you know, the, the innovation and the, the technology and, and just the scale of everything, cost, everything just it's uh, I was on the you know we did a podcast with Corbett and same thing you know it's the, the amount of scale it takes to do fiber it's 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 monumental it's it's just a large large project um, yeah yes. and that's one of the, I think that's been one of the challenges with fiber to begin with is that you really need uh, you really need a, a volume of this uh, in order to make all the math work, but it's definitely viable once we start to have that volume. Uh, and and we've actually been seeing a, a lot more interest in the in the fiber market. And 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 thank God for what Corbett's doing out there, being able to, to provide some of these machines because uh, just just the, the the machines that Formation Ag is putting out are really the machines that are starting the fiber industry in the United States today. Oh, totally. I, I totally, I totally agree. I, and it's, it's the innovation. It's the innovation, Andrew, you guys, you, you two having a conversation about something and then it, it turns into something else. And then one person hears one thing and you know, there's, I, I don't know, probably a half dozen people trying to do this on a, you know, on a small scale. And these people, you know, it's, it, it's everything's going to go and come together in a collaborative fashion and somebody's going to you know really knock this you know get it going and but he's you know you're right he's he's selling these smaller machines allowing people to you know at least try and get this thing you know moving in a in a direction that's that's positive so yeah it's uh because the reality is there are there are some some markets that we can uh take and turn this fiber into certain products today and the more people that start to take advantage of that, uh, the the more demand is going to be needed for that, and then we can produce more supply, and then people are going to get smarter, and they're going to find another use for it, and then they're going to need the, the demand will increase, and then we'll have to increase some supply. And so, uh, yeah, I'm really excited where we're going from a fiber standpoint, and I, I'm happy to uh, be working with some of the people that are helping to kick it off. 
I saw I saw a video yesterday. Uh, I was on LinkedIn, and, and it was a short 18-second video, and it was just piles of. Uh, he he said it was decorticated, but I was looking at him going, "Well, I think he took some. I think he took some stocks from a CBD harvest and sent them through something. I don't know, but that's uh, a that's a big mess, is what you got there. But it was only 18 <laughs> seconds long." It was only 18 seconds long, and it was piles of, you know, ratted up hemp. And I thought to myself, and this is something that I've seen over the years, is when people don't show the process, there usually isn't one. And yeah, it, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> when they don't, when the video's not three minutes long, something's wrong. Yeah, I always get nervous about hype videos uh, as well because you, you never get to see the what, what is actually happening here. And and uh, as a person that's done a number of uh, uh, videos for for products, and and we uh, of course you know Corey, we do put out products that actually actually work. Uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, getting the film to be able to film a successful project someday is uh, a lot more complicated than just actually sometimes building the machines and producing the machines. Oh yeah. Because, getting... you know, I, I, yes. So being, you know, I have some video from last year we planted and there's some, it's, you know, we're, we're actually planting. If you don't know what you're looking at, it looks like we're just driving a planter through the field because the plants were so dang small. And so if you weren't there on site, it doesn't, it doesn't translate onto video. And I, and I'm sure harvesting is the same thing. Uh, that, that one video, there's a video I want to say it's a, I don't know if that's yours or not. It's a one, it's a one, um, I apologize for not knowing if it's not yours or not, but, uh, it's, it's hooked to a John Deere tractor and it's, it's taking one, it's one row of plants and it's just cutting them off. Is that yours? Okay, yeah, that's yeah. And so uh, Rocky Mountain, right? Yeah, uh, we were on Salt, Salt Creek, Creek uh, Salt, Salt Creek, Creek Camp. Yep, in yep. Uh, Colbrand, Colorado. Yeah. See, so that that to me now that's a video that actually you're showing that. I mean, that's a I think that's a three plus minute video um, showing that working. That's that's a good video. Um, yeah, and it, it, but but again, it's funny how how. Uh, how fickle sometimes you get, you, you run through 40 acres of material and then you go shoot a video and then your machine just doesn't want to work for you. <laughs> well, yeah. So that, that little bit of, that little bit of video shows it working, but you did, it doesn't show that the days and days of, okay, I think we've got it. It's going to work this time. Roll the yeah, tape. Yeah. People didn't, <laughs> people didn't see, uh, all the video of us getting it adjusted properly and, uh, um, you know, staring at each other saying, you know, how did this work yesterday? And now we get it to the field and it doesn't want to operate. We've got 200 people standing there watching us fumble around. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about your equipment. What, uh, I see you got a new, a new header. I don't know if it's new, but is it, um, tell us a little bit about what yeah. you got going on. So we, we put out uh, a product at the end of last year called our Super Crop LP, which was our first really high-performance CBD um, header. And, and that, that item was designed to harvest uh, high-velocity CBD plants or, or CBD plants in high velocity and chop them. So uh, the purpose was strictly to go into a forage harvester, 
uh, for chopping, doing this very wet, and then uh, the customer go and dry it and then do extraction uh, from that point. We actually, uh, with, with, that, with that product, uh, one of the main features we were trying to do, because I know there's a lot of people out there that have been using forage harvesters and, and an Orbis-style header or Kemper-style header and what we saw from uh, from that and the challenge there is you, you've got to run that header right on the ground and you've got to bring pretty much 100% of that plant in, uh, but there's really no way to lift branches up off the ground if they're on the ground. So what we wanted to do was provide a solution to that. So we're, we can't go through the field quite as fast as you might with a Kemper header, but we're folding up the branches and we're leaving behind about 20 or 30% of the stock material in the field uh, at the cut height that we're cutting it. So we typically advise between 9 and 15 inches, depending on, on your plant, in order to leave that much wood material out in the field. And that does a number of things. It, it speeds up the drying uh, uh, that the customer has on the back side of it because they don't have to feed as much stock material through. And then also, if you are familiar with, the, you know, just generally good agricultural uh, practices, uh, we're leaving that stock out in the field so it can break down and um, put some nutrients back into the ground uh, for the following season. Well, after we built that, uh, we actually took the row unit that we designed from a, uh, to feed into this header and we uh, started to do some work with uh, Corbett Hefner over at Formation Ag, and we took our row units and applied them to his uh, clean-cut header uh, to create this super clean-cut header design. So that allows uh, the clean-cut header of Corbett's to basically run along the ground, fold those branches up, leave more woody material in the field than it would have before, and then offload those whole plants into a trailer uh, uh, so if, if, if you don't want to go and do any type of chopping and you want to do whole plant harvesting, that gives you a solution for that. It's, it's very uh, minimally intrusive to the plant. Very little damage is going to be done uh, to the plant. Yeah, that's uh, the, the innovation that I saw from, you know, just late 18 to the end, you know, even by the end of harvest 19, you guys had, you know, almost, I don't want to call it obsolete because that's really not what happened because it still has a use, but um, the technology and what you guys had figured out was, was pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, kudos to you guys trying to figure this thing out. And I'm sure you guys have a lot of cool stuff, you know, planned for 2020 and beyond. So, uh, and the industry is going to, you know, the industry is going to dictate what you guys build. Um, oh, that's, sure. that's correct. That's, that's one of the things I uh, am very, very aware of is uh, the economics of this industry are going to drive uh, the mechanics of this industry. And, and the reason that we haven't had better mechanical technology up to this point is, is twofold. A, the, the, the cost of the commodity, uh, it was so high, it didn't require um, coming up with lower cost techniques to uh, work with it. And then, of course, there were no standards. Uh, so now we're facing a situation where while there still are no standards, the economics are extremely important. And uh, that's, that's definitely going to drive how people put it in the ground. And then because of that, that's going to change the way in which that we have to harvest things. 
Very, very, very true. Well, uh, I just, you know, uh, kind of the the whole industry itself. I know for my my speaking for me personally, you know, I'd kind of switched over into, you know, pushing the fiber and whatnot, and then, uh, you know, talking with people doing this and doing that, and you know, the paper and all those things. All of a sudden, this virus just shut, you know, just slammed the door on any kind of. Uh, talking to people about funding and that kind of stuff. Everyone's like, yikes. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, it's a, this, it's a this bad deal. Virus. I mean, uh, and, and that's, uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I'm, I'm while, while the U S government has done some, some neat things to try to help small businesses. Uh, I, I'm not impressed with what they've done uh, to help the hemp producer in, in their financing needs today because they're basically left out of these programs. Uh, and I, farmers in general are left out of the, uh, the small business programs and the payroll protection program. The CARES Act really doesn't address the, the farmer at all. And I'm, I'm actually working with several different uh, organizations. We've got a letter um, going to the USDA um, uh, talking about this exact subject and uh, and imploring them to make some changes for this next round of funding to include include not only farmers but hemp farmers uh, so that all farmers can get the uh, funds that they need to be able to operate this year. You know, I, I saw a couple of posts you made on LinkedIn and a uh, uh, video that you did, and I, I know you've gotten a lot of flack. But, um, and, and, you know, I, I know how important it is that, that people stay safe during this time, but... The reality is we have to help farmers produce. Um, we, we have to the, – the people that are involved in farming today are the people that produce the food that everyone eats. And, and I don't know if maybe sometimes we forget about that because we mo- most of the people go to a grocery store and the, they have no interaction with the farmer. They have no interaction with that supply chain. So – you know, who cares if this small farm goes out of business or that small farm? They just go to the grocery store. That's where, the, that's where things come from. Milk comes from the grocery store. It comes from a carton. Uh, there's a disconnect from the fact that the milk comes from the cow. Uh, and we've got to be looking at taking care of these producers because as we come out of this, out of this virus uh, situation, out of this pandemic, uh, you know, ideally, hopefully, we come out of it uh, here very soon. That's going to be the next catastrophe we have on our hands is where is America going to get the food? Yeah, and that's that's something I was, you know, it, it's it's interesting how I am is, you know, I'll take something and I'll, I'll it, I'm passionate about it and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll do it before I think about it. And so uh, I did that video and, and then I, I, I did I did one take. I did, a, it was a, I, I screwed up the intro and I went back the second take is what got posted. So there's not a whole lot of thought process behind it. And I, I went back and I, you know, I was rambling. It took me a couple 30 seconds to get, uh, you know, get my feet underneath me and then get, uh, my thoughts started to roll. But um, bottom line is I just gotten off the phone with a, a buddy of mine that's a dairy farmer and he's dumping milk. And of course I, I was born and raised on a dairy farm. So it, it hit me really made me mad. And then uh, 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 Shay Myers dumped a million pounds of onions literally that same morning. And so, you know, my emotions were high, but it's, it's something that the, the industry, the, the, as agriculture has to, 
wrap their minds around is the gap, the holes that we have um, because all these people are dumping. And, you know, if, if this, if my buddy sends his cows to the, to the slaughterhouse, um, not only did he lose his business, but the industry lost all of that production. And, and that's just one, that's one supplier, you know, so. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you can see, you know, you heard, you know, you're close enough to Wisconsin. I'm, I know that you heard about all the dairy farms coming out of Wisconsin that went down in 19. Uh, what is this going to, I mean, I, I just can't even imagine Wisconsin's going to be a, a ghost town. And that used to be one of the biggest suppliers of milk in the country. Yeah. And, uh, it's, uh, and it, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really sad. And, and not only, you know, not only did the dairies go away, uh, but, you know, for most of America, these small farms, or even large farms now today, or these dairies, they're a family. It's it's not a, you know, not a retail shop that opens or closes. Uh, you know, these are families that sometimes have multi-generations into this. And so it's not, it's not the failure of, of uh, just a business. It's, it's the end of, it's the end of a multi-generational program sometimes, and that's much more difficult to walk away from uh, than I think uh, the average job might be to somebody. Uh, well, because, number one, you're uh, – it's not – well, okay. It, when you're dealing with animals, that makes a different, different spin on losing a, a business because you actually um, you, you're attached to these animals uh, when you're so for people that don't know, I mean, when you're on a dairy farm, that's, that's 24, seven, And so when you lose that and you have to pack up your animals that you've been taking care of for two decades, you know, you have generational. So you have animals that, you know, that, you know, you remember that, that the mother 20 years ago, you bought the mother and now you're, you're loading up their great, great granddaughter and taking them to slaughter. Yeah. You know this. And so it's, it's, it, I just don't even like talking about it. It's just like, ah, it gets me, it gets me pretty upset. Um, so these farmers they're losing their livelihoods they're losing all these things and and there's really no you know uh you know using shay said that um he goes if i hear pickle these onions one more time you know i have a million pounds and i don't know if you've seen his video did you ever watch his video yeah i, I watched his video and i've uh i've been reading through the thread uh yeah i've 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 been engaged in that absolutely. incredible People just, oh, you know, pickle them, send them to the homeless. Homeless people don't like eating raw onion. <laughs> well, it's and, not. And can, you, can you imagine if if Shay had the extra money laying around to create some sort of pickling facility? I mean, he probably yeah. wouldn't be complaining about dumping onions. But then again, we have, so you got the pickled onions. Now you you have a million pounds of pickled onions that has no market yeah. for it. And now you just now you, and, and the the process still continues to move on. So now all you did was you took and you spent all this capital trying to figure out how to save these million pounds, when in fact that it's that the process and time just rolled over it. It's it's just, it just keeps going. Time well, goes. It, yeah, and it's it's because of just a general lack of acceptance 
from some of the people that are viewing this that this just is the way that it is. This is going to be the consequence. They're going to have to dump these onions, and then they're going to have to, uh, you know, dispose of that waste. And, um, you know, they talk about, well, it's turning into methane gas. Well, I guess what do we do then? Do we just stop growing food and we all die so we don't ruin the world? I mean, we got to be smart about what we're doing. And these farmers, you know, I, have, I haven't ran a lot – I don't typically run into a lot of farmers that are acting in, with nefarious purposes. These guys are good guys trying to make a living for their family and trying to produce food for the United States. And uh, when I see these negative comments or how, how smart everyone is relative to the farmer, it gets, it gets really, really aggravating. It's yeah. I mean, and I know that you where you live and how you you know you grew up around farmers. That this is personal. It it becomes personal because your people are attacking your livelihood, your friends, uh, you know, and they because they don't want to take the time to understand um, the the actual problem. And, and you know what? It's there's not a solution. I. I there isn't a solution because we would have already done it, but they come on to a post and they come on to a thread and they, you know, they start cop calling us capitalist pigs and, you know, you don't care about people. You only care about money. Do you even have an idea of who you're talking to? You know, it's like, this isn't, that really, it really gets me going. And, and then they want to bring politics in it, which really sends me off into the deep end. Um, you know, just leave your politics. Let's leave the politics out of this. Let's talk about policy. And I'll have that discussion with you all day long. But, you know, blaming, blaming somebody because you don't like them or you don't like the, you know, yeah. and, and then understand the problem first and then let's have a discussion. You know, tell and me. I think, your, tell where, me. I think that that's where it becomes difficult. You know, when you look at, you know, I got I got a little girl. She's uh, 11 years old. Uh, a son that's six years old. I, I've seen their school curriculum, um, and I know what they're going to be studying. And and there's nowhere in there that anyone ever talks to the kids about. Hey, where's your food come from? You know, what does the supply chain look like to make sure that you have these different products? And so I, I think naturally uh, people grow up with a disconnect because it's not something as a country we've we've thought was important to educate people on. Andrew, I used to my my dad used to do uh, field trips to the dairy. So I think every I think fifth grade, um, the school would the, the schools would bring out the fifth graders out to the dairy farm, and you know they tour the dairy and watch cows get milked. And and time and time and time again, they always asked, "Where are the brown cows at?" That's <laughs> <laughs> you know we're talking fifth graders. But up to that point, they're fifth grade, and they still think chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's not that a fifth grader should know, but in all, but obviously the, the fifth grader should know that milk comes from a cow, not from the store. Yeah, and that's, that's just our is, – is you can see the disconnect when you see how they're reacting to that, that they just haven't had the appropriate education. So yeah, I think that's what we have to do is – is make sure that, it, you know, that's one of the things I think we can do as a country is come out of this and, and better educate our younger population as to how supply chains work. Uh, you know, how does, how does the country around you function uh, so, so that they have some semblance into that so that they don't feel like there's everything's disconnected and everyone is working against each other. 
because you know that that's not who we are as a country. We are a country that uh, tries to come together, and in the middle of that, there's people that do the wrong things. But for the most part, most people, in my opinion, get up every day to try to do a good job and to try to contribute something positive. I to- I totally agree, and I think uh, when this is all done. And we get, you know, some sort of sense. Hope we don't. So hopefully, we don't see twenty-gallon milk, twenty-dollar-gallon milk um, in the store. But it's a possibility that it could happen, um, depending on how far how far down we keep take dragging this down. Ho- hopefully, we don't see that. But you know, it, it's a there's a, is a possibility. Um, but I do think when we get out of this, that people will have a different different look at, at what farmers are. I think farmers got pushed and I've, you know, I love the memes like, Oh, farmers and farmers and mechanics and welders and all this. They're, they're important people too, right? <laughs> you, for, <laughs> you forgot about us. All of a sudden we're now important. I hope so. that we all, we come out of this and we all have a better appreciation for everything everyone does. Uh, you know, that would be a positive. Well, I think there's a little bit more pain that we have to go through, uh, unfortunately. I, that's just my opinion. I think there's a little bit more, it, depending on who you talk to, whether you're uh, half glass full or empty. Uh, I'm a little bit more on the empty side right now just because I don't have a whole lot of faith in our society to, to do the right thing. I think uh, if it gets much worse and people start going getting hungry, which we're coming up on this week, this week coming up is going to definitely tell us, you know, I think unless they can get some money in their pockets uh, to go buy food, um, I'm actually seeing, I've seen spikes in food prices already. I bought a hamburger at one of my favorite hamburger spots yesterday. And I think their burger was $2 more than it was a month ago. So, yeah, I actually, I buy this, um, you know, to, to speak to the hamburger issue specifically, uh, there, there's a local uh, uh, butcher shop not too far away from me here that I, I really, really enjoy getting this uh, jerky. And I went back, I went two weeks ago because I said, oh, we better get some, get some jerky because uh, uh, I'm out. And they said to me, we're not going to be making jerky for several weeks. And I said, what? Why would you not make jerky for several weeks? Well, people are buying up all the hamburgers. So we don't have any extra hamburger that, that we can, or any extra meat that we can turn into anything else but hamburger. So that's what we're going to be working on, you know, until the, until things change. And and that came from people not them not being able to uh, get the supply of ha- of meat that they needed because people had raided the grocery stores for the for the hamburger. Um, and, you know, I get it because at, at the end of the day, uh, w- nobody knows how long they're going to be quarantined. So I, I understand why some of the hoarding has occurred at the same time it has presented a problem for us. Well, the, the hoard, it's, and then that just the bass rates, it, it, it compounds the problem. I start try to use a big word there. It, it compounds the problem of the supply chain. Because now you've hoarded all this stuff, and then uh, the farmers are are holding back, and they're they're doing all these things trying to survive, and it just makes the hole that much bigger, which is going to and it's a it's a mindset. So you walk in the store, and the store shelves are empty, not realizing that yeah, food give it give it a couple of weeks, and we'll get back to normal. But what it does it makes the mentality going we're in trouble. There's no more food, hoard, and so I, if we can keep 
um, trying to just keep calm and let this thing catch back up uh, minus these holes that we've already talked about, whether it's just the onions. Think about the onions being dumped and what that the cause of all the products, you know, dairy and in, in, in your produce. When you dump something, it has a chain reaction on everything else. So if you have cheese, you can't put so, you can't put cheese into a product because you don't have the cheese anymore. You can't put the onions in the product because there's onions are dumped in a in a ditch somewhere. Uh, I, it's going to be the next month is definitely going to be interesting. So, oh boy. Yeah. Well, and then and then we'll definitely face the uh, you know as we go into harvest season, uh, the fallout of of all of this because really when you're dealing with with crops you know you're three to four months out before you start to see the effects of of the over Mm -hmm. under uh supply well well i have i have a buddy he's a really good friend of mine and he runs uh nine nine locations for wilbur ellis i don't know if you it might be a west coast thing but it's a big fertilizer uh supply and he goes i got i got farmers that aren't doing anything and this is a big agriculture area and everybody's holding off, you know, on this, what are they, what are we going to do? Let's wait just a little bit and see what we're going to have to produce to keep this food chain going. That's incredible to have a conversation about instead of doing what they normally do. You know, I've got uh, one of the big potato guys up here in, in the Northwest uh, start has now started canceling potato contracts potato contracts they're canceling what does that so when when people go oh you're making a big deal about this Corey, and i'm going no guys this i'm seeing the actual part of this that you don't get to see when potato contracts you know mccain starts taking away potato contracts that's scary that's absolutely absolutely. terrifying because now and 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 we're in plant well, we're in planting season for potatoes right now. And so if the McCain is going to the farmer that's now trying to figure out how many acres of potatoes he has contracts for, and then McCain saying, I don't want the potatoes, I can't give you a contract, or I'm going to pull the existing contract. Now we're going to have a potato shortage. Potatoes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and- you know, you <laughs> You, hey, going to the store and not being able to buy milk is one thing. Not being able to buy potatoes or potato byproducts, that is going to cause problems. Well, and then, you know, the, the, the other side of this is that what, what is the other product that Americans eat uh, more than anything else uh, that they don't even know is in their food? Corn. And yeah. The commodity price of corn is down lower than the cost of production. And I'm looking at this article in front of me that I just uh, saw come out two days ago from Successful Farming that says, farmers urge to be patient with new crop pricing. Uh, I don't know how farmers don't worry when, when they're looking at putting seeds into the ground that they know will cause them to become bankrupt. I don't know how farmers don't worry and get concerned about that type of thing, especially because the banks, you go to the other side of it, if the banks were willing to finance that and say, hey, guys, you know, we know you're in a tough spot. We're going to back you. But they're not. The banks have gotten to yeah, the point where they're, yeah, who's, they're not. Uh, I, I, I saw a post, somebody, they did uh, something 
oh, how many millions, hundred, a couple hundred million dollars in, in funding to farmers in the local area here up north. And, you know, so where did that money come from? And, you know, are, is it a loan or is it, you know, the government? Now we can get into the government and, and, and taking over. It's scary. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm not a half empty or a half full guy right now. I'm, I'm really concerned just by the conversation of the last three minutes. I'm concerned about what our future is when it comes to the food and what that means to the society and what, how they're going to react to $20 a gallon milk or not being able to buy potatoes or, 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 or having shortages. I, we've, we've become a society that's not used to, to sacrificing anything. And so we're really going to have to, as a society, just, you know, just stop, you know, you don't need the new iPhone. Let's focus on just getting out of this, this next day. And, you know, uh, let's put people back to work and let's get, let's get this thing rolling back again. So it, it's, you know, I, I, I am that guy, but I am just, I think I'm looking, I'm not half empty. I'm just saying, you know, the alarm is being sounded guys. Let's take this serious. Yeah. It so, reminds me of, uh, uh, that, that, uh, that graphic I saw when you talk about optimism and pessimism and the glass being half full. And I think, I think what's going on in, in uh, our economy right now and the world around us is, uh, you know, the one person looks at the glass half full. uh, The optimist does. The the pessimist looks at the glass half empty and the realist looks at the glass and says, well, this is, this is, this is just has full of piss. So. um, (laughs) That's a great, that's a great analogy. This is full of piss. <laughs> We're all going to have to take a sip too. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's it? What's it matter if the glass is half full or half empty? This is just piss anyway. So, um, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. I haven't heard that one. That's great. Oh, oh man, you made my day on that one. I might have to use that one. <laughs> I might have to use that one. That one's good. Oh, well, I, I really appreciate it. I knew that this was going to be a great show just because uh the, the times that I've spoken to you, you're, you're just a, a really neat guy. And, and I appreciate taking the time to, to be on the show with us. And um, I think it's been, you know, I know uh, I saw that you guys did your podcast. I think you, I, I listened to the second one, the second episode. Um doing podcasts are they're fun they're entertaining uh depending on how much time you want to put in the the production of it um obviously i'm not interested in the production you know side of things i like just doing things a little raw but um you know you guys did your podcast and it's 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 fun i i enjoy doing it yeah i i we've done a couple of them it's been a good time um you know i i, I can say our format is not this format, and I do think uh, I, I enjoy your format here, Corey. It's 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 been a good time today. Well, great. I you know once again I, I thoroughly and appreciate you uh, coming on with us, and you know we will definitely have to do it again. Uh, maybe maybe when things slow down, maybe next uh, the end of the fall we'll we'll get back on, and and we'll have to hear about hemp harvest and how it went, and the things that we learned, and things we can go into 2021 with. Where do I um, where do I find this podcast? I will uh, I'll I'll post it on LinkedIn and I'll uh, I can send you the the link to the to the broadcast once it's uh, once it's live because it it'll go live like two or three minutes after it's done. 
um, it'll be okay. going and and then it populates. It's crazy crazy how fast it, it'll be on uh, Apple iTunes by the end of the day. That's exciting. I'll make sure yeah. to I'll make sure to go in and and get a give give myself a listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the first do, the first three minutes is a lot of me. I almost I swear I almost bailed. I was like, oh, I'm just it's because it hit the three minute mark, and usually if it's not three minutes, and then I think you came in at uh, right at the halfway between uh, three and a half minutes. So anyway. Uh, well, great having you on here. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. We had uh, Andrew Bish from Bish Enterprises, and uh, you know, look it up. Uh, his website. Oh, by the way, I went to your website. I think you got a 522 error on your website. Oh yeah, the, Not, we had a web server in Kansas City went down, and that uh, that's that's getting resolved. Uh, okay. You got your Hemp Harvest Works comes up, but your actual Bish Enterprises is not. So yeah, we got them on two different servers. Yep, yep. By the, the internet, it'll eat your lunch if you let it. So, yeah. all right. Well, I'll let you go. Have a great rest of your your uh, your day, and uh, you know it's been a great show. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for everything you're doing, Corey. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. All right, guys. If you're uh, you're still here after listening to that, I totally appreciate you uh, sticking with us. Uh, apologize for the first couple of minutes, but that's what happens when you do a live show. You guys have been great. Thank you for for listening. Um, if you'd like to be on the show, hit me up with a radio uh, at radio at hemplogic.com, and uh, let's see if we can get you on. It's fairly easy. Just got to get you you know scheduled and uh, have you call in, and we can have a chat just about about anything we want to do. You guys have a great rest of your day, and you guys take care. Have a good one.